Philippians chapter number 2. As we continue our Wednesday night series through the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 2, we'll begin by reading verses 19 through 30. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. But we know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he hath served me in the gospel. Him therefore I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and companion in labor, and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. For he longed after you all, and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. For indeed he was sick nigh unto death. God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully, that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. As a reminder, Paul is under house arrest in Rome. He is awaiting trial. His fate is still uncertain. For the most part, he believes that he will be released and that he will be with them again at least one more time in his life. But he's also ready to die for his faith if that's God's will. In chapter 1, remember Paul had wrote, So now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. He stated he was in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, which is far better. But he said, I know it's needful for me that I be here with you. Ultimately, he's confident that he was going to abide and continue on this earth. Last week we saw in verse 17 how Paul was ready to be offered or he was ready to be poured out as a drink offering, as that word means, for the service of their faith. Whatever it took for their faith to be continued, he was okay with that. Whatever, whatever that meant to God, if that meant that he would be uh, martyred, so be it. If that meant that he was released and continued, great. <laughs> but he was okay with it so long as it continued their faith. And he said, look, whatever it is, I'll rejoice in it. Remember that this church, they were doing pretty well overall. This was not a church that Paul had to write to, to upbraid like he did in Galatia, um, Corinth. But this church has it, has it going together pretty well. There's not a lot of major doctrinal issues. There was some things beginning to crop up that he had taken note of that had come to his ears, either from Epaphroditus who had come to give word, or maybe some other way, but it was understood that there was an increasing sense of disunity. We'll see this more uh, deeply in chapter 4, where it's mentioned there of the two ladies who were not of the same mind in the Lord. I'll read you that verse in Philippians 4, 2. It says, I beseech Eodius and beseech Syntyche, 
that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Perhaps the wrong kind of cliques began to develop in this church. Now, I see no problem with cliques in general. Stay with me. I think it's natural that you might have some dudes over here that like hunting, and they get together to hunt without the computer nerds being involved. (laughs) Computer people. The number crunchers. I think that's normal. I think it's normal if you have the computer guys go to a technological convention (laughs) while the sports guys do their thing. I I think that kind of grouping happens no matter what. Uh, You've got your outdoor crowd, your indoor crowd, your sports crowd, your crocheting crowd. (laughs) Amen, Jesse. (laughs) I mean, we just want to give a shout out to Sister Reeser. Um, Sydney, these crocheters. How many of you women crochet? See, we could start a click right there. We've got five. We've got five in here tonight that crochet. Anyway, I think these kind of things are okay. Uh, Gearheads, they may not be interested in sports. Sports guys may not be interested in cars. I think those kind of cliques are natural when they are kept within their proper boundaries. But when a clique becomes wrong is when it becomes exclusive based upon one group seeing themselves better as another group. And what they do is they'll close others out. This is when it begins to hurt a church because the clique will find their significance in the smaller group rather than the benefit of the whole church. It's important you understand this because unfortunately what happens in many cases, the small group becomes the reason why I'm here. I'll give you an example of teenagers. They're not in here. Teens will say to their friends, you need to come to my youth group. Great. I'm all for that. Amen. Let's, let's overload the youth group. But if you, if you analyze that, it's not come to my church. It's come to my youth group. You see, the, the, the smaller group is the benefit over the large group. So we got to be careful about some of this. It's about the group within the larger group. The significance of the church then becomes the youth group, not the church itself. And so what you'll see from time to time is you'll see teenagers drift in and out between youth groups of different churches. We'll see some people come in They'll be here for a little bit. They'll, they'll bounce in and out of different youth groups, and, and it's amazing their parents are on board with this, but whatever the case, they'll, they'll bounce in and out because that's their clique. That's their significance. It is in the smaller group within the large group. That's where they find their acceptance. I don't know, but maybe we've been guilty of that as well. I don't, I don't know of anything, but maybe somebody's placing a small group like a youth group over the larger church. And it can lead to problems because it causes division within the church. And it all starts with something innocent, like we keep sitting in our own little area. We got to have our own little parking spot. It starts as just something as easy as that. But if you're not careful, this can, this can, get, out of, this can get out of control. Um, 
people can actually say, did you know that they're parking in my spot? Back when we first were busting out of the seams before COVID, we actually had people that were mad that their seat was taken on Sunday morning. Mad at the blessings of God. Because it became about my little group here. I'd like to sit here. Brother Foley, good to see you up front. Amen. <laughs> um, <laughs> he's leading by example. So a church can inadvertently, sometimes purposefully, brand itself as a particular kind of church where only this group of people with this set of interests are welcome here. Now, Brother Mitchell, we'd have a hard time if only introverts were allowed. (laughs) But it would be a great church, amen. (laughs) No issues, we'd be in and out. (laughs) For example, and I'm not being abrasive in any way, but this is what popped into my mind as I was studying this. But take the cowboy church movement we find out here in the West. I'm not against that. Okay, listen, I'm not against the cowboy church. I'm just giving you an example. The cowboy church is, this is who we are. This is our lifestyle. This is our culture. We minister to cowboy-like-minded people. It's in the name of the church. Cowboy church. What does that say to people who are not cowboy-like? Are they welcome there? There might be people in that church that are very welcoming, but because of the name, the brand, it's like, well, I don't know if I'm really welcome there. I mean, I'm from the city. I grew up in the suburbs, whatever the case, and and I don't know anything about roping and branding and wearing hats and special kind of heel on your boot, you know, so you can really fit in. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You got the rider boot, the walking boot. And it ends up being, you're not really welcome here. It might be inadvertent. It may be on purpose. And and you see, it's not so much a set of doctrinal beliefs that are uniting people together, but it's the lifestyle instead. I'm not against cowboys, except the football team. I'm not against churches that preach the gospel. But the message can come across, if you don't have this interest, you're not welcome. You're not going to fit in. And this can be manifested in all kinds of ways. And really, we independent Baptists are experts at it by putting what we are on our sign. We're independent, premillennial, hellfire, KJV only, him singing old-fashioned, bless God, get out of my way, Baptist. And what we end up saying is, if you're not these things, don't bother. Brother Long mentioned that once, and it has stuck with me. And so while groups do form around common interest, don't allow that to be elevated to the reason why you're here. Thank God for the little groups, the little interests, the commonalities we have, but our ultimate commonality has to be in Christ. Because we can't let one group become the basis of our church unity. Because if, if that group takes over, that becomes the brand of the church. Well, that's a hunting church. That's a crocheting church. 
That's a Republican church. That's a Democrat church. That's a white church. That's a black church. That's a native church. And now the belief in the community is only people within a certain demographic are welcome in that church. Now, as I was typing my notes, trust me, I kept asking the Lord, why did you have me say all this? I don't know. Take it for what it's worth. Must have been for somebody tonight. Because this disunity was creeping in to Philippi, whatever, however it was being manifested, we don't really know, except two are not of the same mind in the Lord. This chapter opens with a call to unity and humility. We've seen that throughout the weeks that we've been in chapter 2. He tells them to be like-minded, have the same love, be of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Let each esteem others better than themselves. And then Paul wrote, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And he gives us the example of Christ's humility, His unity with the Father, His service. And then he calls them to continued obedience. And he tells them, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. And he proceeds to tell them what this looks like. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Don't be that one who says you'll do something, but then you complain so much about it that the person leading that eventually says, you know what, just get out of my way, I'll do it. It's going to be far easier if I just do this because I don't want to hear you complain the whole time. Those are individuals who may genuinely want to be involved, but it always entails hearing the complaining and the bitterness. Therefore, you don't get the participation without the aggravation. Kind of like some kids when they're told to do something in the house. (sighs) Well, instead of that, Paul writes, we are to be blameless, harmless as the children of God. We're to shine as lights, holding forth the word of life, After laying out all of this for them concerning the Christian life, Paul now gives them two men who embody these characteristics. And he mentions Timothy and Epaphroditus. These are the kind of friends we need. Clicks aside. Those who will point us ultimately to the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Your best friends ought to be those who don't point you to the best weapon, but to Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Not those who fit our fleshly interests the best, so we don't look to our cliques, but we look to a person's spirituality. It is our union in Christ which is to be the basis of our friendship. And that's the unity on the whole as a church, not these little groups. But what can be said about Liberty Baptist Tabernacle? Above all else, may our church be branded as a Christ-centered church. I'm okay if Jesse Reeser says, you know what, come over here, we got some good crocheting friends. Praise God. 
I'll take every interest there is, almost. I mean, hey, we want to reach them with the gospel. I'm okay with that. But listen, ultimately, it needs to be, it's not so much that uh, it's about our youth group or our crocheters or our choir or our, our, our little cliques. It's that, listen, you need to come here because we're going to lift up Christ. We want you to grow in Christ. Yeah, we want you to have godly friends. But we want you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and it is that which is to be the basis of our unity. I've known Brother Long for 20 years now. As we both moved around in our military careers, I actually stayed in touch, not me really, but probably Adrian uh, with Tiffany because men are not pen pals usually. Amen, guys. He fixes things, I break things. He's a gearhead, I'm a sports nut. He's friendly, I'm a jerk. (laughs) And outside of Christ, there would be no friendship. And I'm simply saying this, friendships do not have to revolve around common worldly interests. But if they revolve around Christ, He's all you need to maintain right friendships within the church. We're talking about unity. When we learn this, we can be a church body full of diversity, all kinds of different backgrounds, yet we can maintain unity. We can have the rich among us. Amen. We can have the poor among us. We can have the hunters and we can have the techno guys and we can have, listen, we can have all these groups. We can have uh, whites and natives and blacks and whoever else you want to throw in there. Red and yellow, black and white, they're all precious in His sight, amen? Throw them all in there. And the point is, no matter the background, we still have a common unity because we are here in Christ and that's where it revolves around. I hope this is all making sense. So we can have those that go to the gun ranges. Amen. They might be shooting the games that the guys who are gamers are going to the conventions to get for target practice. Listen, if you ever go shooting with people, they'll shoot the craziest stuff. Hey, man, you know, I found this in the garage. Shut up, man. I thought, it's like a can of paint, you know? We can have those who love sports be friends with those who read all the time. If we want church unity, it's not found in similar hobbies or agreeing in every single standard that someone holds or holding the exact same political belief in every area or even how we feel about COVID. I'm not against somebody that gets the vaccine. I'm not against somebody who doesn't want the vaccine. That's not where my unity is found. Unity is found in Christ above all else. Philippians 2.4, Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So we don't find unity by same backgrounds, ethnicity, or even same heritages. When you think about these three men, Paul, Timothy and Epaphroditus. This is an unlikely group of men to be yoked together. Paul is a Jew. He was a Pharisee before he was converted. He was all in. Timothy is a half-breed. He's half-Jew, half-Greek. Epaphroditus is all Gentile. And yet here's these three men, completely different backgrounds, and they're all co-laborers in Christ. It's not about the background. It's not about the ethnicity but it's about being centered in Christ. So, 
even though it was uncommon in those days for these three men to be yoked together, in Christ, that's how it's supposed to be. Because in Christ, all of those things which categorize us in the world's eyes, they're done away with. And and by the way, does it bother anybody that in our nation today, we're reverting back to segregation? The critical race theory garbage that's being taught in many of the schools and, and all over in universities, it's driving more segregation. All those who fought to end segregation ought to be rolling over in their graves. Racial issues aren't being helped in this nation, but they are being made worse by idiotic policies which are causing segregation once again. Just this past school year, Mary Lynn Elementary School in Atlanta at the direction of Principal Sharon Briscoe, a black principal, mind you, segregated students in the school into white classes and black classes. Do you hear what I'm saying? 2021. It amazes me how we're going backwards in the name of progress. How we are becoming segregated again in the name of social justice. Well, notice the first phrase in verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus. Now he says here, in the Lord Jesus. That's what a Christian would say. And this is how a Jew, a half-breed, and a Gentile can all have unity. Because a Christian is one who is in the Lord Jesus. And in Christ, the middle wall is broken down. There is no partition anymore. We're neither bond nor free, male or female, Jew or Gentile. But we are all made one in Christ. Paul had hoped to send Timothy in the Lord Jesus. For, for, for you tonight, this isn't a big deal, but I want you to understand, for Paul writing this, he's saying that Jesus was more than just a man who lived and, lived and died. I'm hoping in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy. Evidently, Jesus was somebody greater than somebody who just lived and died. He must have been somebody who rose again and ascended to heaven. Okay, That might be for a different crowd, but you understand the importance of what Paul is saying here. In the Lord Jesus. Even though Epaphroditus had been sent to Philippi to Paul in Rome to report on the Philippians' well-being, travel was slow in those days. (laughs) And so Paul wanted to send Timothy to know of their state from the time that Epaphroditus had left until until the time of this writing. A lot of time would have elapsed. And Paul was also going to send Epaphroditus back, something we'll see more next week, I think, but with the intent of him remaining and Timothy returning to report back at some point. And Paul states this word about their state would bring him comfort. And we can imagine that it would. I mean, the man's in jail. He's under house arrest. We don't know if he's going to live or die. And you can imagine hearing from a church that you help plant under such extreme conditions, knowing that they're, they're doing well, it would have brought him comfort. In Proverbs 25, 25, as cold waters to a thirsty soul, so is, news from a, so is good news from a far country. And in verse 23, Paul had hoped to send Timothy just as soon as there was some decision on Paul's fate. Just as soon as I know what my outcome is going to be, I'm going to send Timothy to you. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, there in verse 23, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. Now, he hoped to send Timothy because... 
Timothy was trustworthy to send. Now I want you to get this because this is going to be the emphasis uh, for tonight. He was trustworthy. He exhibited the qualities that Paul had just laid out in the opening parts of this chapter, the first half. And if there was someone Paul could send to help with that disunity that was beginning to crop up, it was this man, Timothy. And in verse 20, Paul considered Timothy to be the best one who could care for them. And though it's never expressly stated on how the Bible reads in Acts 16 and into chapter 17, it appears that Timothy was with Paul and Silas when they planted this church in Philippi. You'll have to go back and read that to see what I mean, but that appears to be the case. And so he had an interest there. He, and he's, Paul says, look, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. What is Paul saying? There were none around, there were none available with the heart for the Philippian church like Timothy had. No others were, were like-minded about Philippi the way Paul was except for Timothy. And if it's true that Timothy was with Paul when this church began, then they would have known Timothy. They would have been familiar with him. And it would have been a comfort to that church to receive somebody in that they already knew. Amen. And because Timothy would have had some personal investment, he would naturally, or what that word means is, he would genuinely care for them. Now verse 21 is interesting to ponder. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. What exactly is Paul saying here? I don't know, but listen to what Matthew Henry wrote. Quote, did Paul say this in haste, as David said, I said in my haste, all men are liars, Psalm 116.11. Was there so general a corruption among ministers so early that there was not one among them who cared for the state of their people? End quote. But then Matthew Henry goes on to write this next. We must not understand it so. He means the generality, all, that is either the most or all in comparison of Timothy. I don't know the spirit in which verse 21 was written. Therefore, I don't know that we need to search for any meaning other than what we get at face value. And what it just says plainly here. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. I'm assuming Paul's just speaking overall that men in general, there's none good, no, not one. There's none that seek the Lord. Maybe that's what he's saying here. I don't know, but maybe just those who were around Paul were those who were just putting their own interest ahead of Christ. That everybody else was more concerned about their own skin than they were about doing God's will. It could be a reference to those that Paul mentioned over in verse 1, who said, some are preaching Christ out of contention because they're hoping to add affliction to my bonds. Whatever the case, verse 21 is a further commendation that Timothy's the guy to send. Amen. He was the one who could help instruct them in the areas of unity, humility, and service. Look at what is said about Timothy in verse 22. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. So, Timothy's service to Paul is likened as a son with a father. We know that's how Timothy referred, Paul referred to Timothy, as his son. And so, Timothy, in turn, would genuinely 
care for them because of his relationship to Paul. That makes sense. Those that would care for this church the most would be those who loved this church before they were called. Amen. That's something preacher made clear. Whoever takes over for me, preacher said, needs to be somebody who has a history with the church and knows the heartbeat of the church. Why? Because there was an understanding that it needs to be somebody who understands Liberty Baptist Tabernacle. And so that person would more naturally care for the things of this church as opposed to somebody who's going to come in here and say, I don't like how you're doing this, 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 and this. Let's blow up the whole thing and start over in my image. Well, I don't know why that example came to my mind, but there you go. So, Timothy was a great help to Paul. In Romans 16.21, Paul calls Timothy his work fellow. Timothy's track record led to Paul being able to trust Timothy because Timothy was proven. Listen now, this is something that is earned through consistency. Paul taught Timothy in 2 Timothy 4.5, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. You know what Paul's saying to Timothy? Hey, Timothy, be consistent. Stay with it, Timothy. Don't give up. Hey, the afflictions are going to come and it's going to get difficult. You need to endure. He's going to go on to say, you need to endure hardship as a good soldier. The hardships were going to come to Timothy. And Paul here says, look, just be consistent over there in 2 Timothy. And one of the qualifications for a bishop that Paul gave to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.6, not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. We were going to cover both men tonight. That's not going to happen. Let me end with this thought. Paul sent Timothy because he was sendable. Don't miss that. He was sendable. I don't know if that's a real word for those who are, you know, in that crowd. That click. You see, Timothy was teachable. He learned what Paul had taught him. He put it into practice. And as a result, Timothy's continuance in those things, because of that continuance, he became sendable. 1 Timothy 4, 14-16, Paul wrote to Timothy, Neglect not the gift that is in thee, which was given thee by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them, that thy profiting may appear to all. Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. Timothy continued in what he learned, and he therefore continued to consistently demonstrate his faithfulness in the service of our Lord. And so I just want to close with this question tonight. Are you sendable? Are you sendable? If you were in these days with the Apostle Paul and he looked around those around him, could he call your name to mind and say, I know who I can send. Somebody that could actually help them through their issues. Paul couldn't go. 
could He send you in His stead? Are you living consistently enough to be used by God? Are you like-minded with the Lord? Do you genuinely care for the spiritual growth of others and our church? Or would you be found in the company of those who seek their own and not the things of Jesus Christ? You know, preacher, I'd be there on Wednesday nights, but... I'd come to men's prayer, but... I'd help you paint, but... Whatever the case. Paul could say of Timothy, but you guys in Philippi, you know the proof of him. Paul had challenged Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.15 that his profiting may appear to all. In other words, Paul was telling Timothy, look... That which you've learned, you practice it so that people can see that it works. That they can see you're profiting. That they can see that the Word of God is profiting you and that the, a walk with God is profitable. Is there proof in your life? You know, listen, we want to invite people to church, but can they see a reason why they should be here? I can't remember who I was talking to just recently. They were, they were, we were having this conversation and just talking about how, what's the difference? I mean, if we're using the same language, if we're going to this, the same sinful activities, if we're... Do you understand what I'm saying? Well, but you got to come to our church. Why? Why? It's great that you might say to the Lord, here am I, send me. But are you sendable? And listen, it has to start somewhere. Right? It's kind of like that young person who needs to learn to build credit in their life if they ever want to use credit. Nobody wants to take that chance on them because they have no credit. How am I supposed to build credit when nobody will let me? It's got to start somewhere. Listen, consistency starts somewhere. And you have to decide somewhere that this is the path. Walk ye in it. That I'm going to follow the Lord and I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to do those things which I have been taught it's got to start somewhere. It starts with the first step, and then the next, and then the next. Would you determine, determine tonight that you'll be sendable for Christ? Would you pray with me, please?